family. I'm so glad to be with you tonight. Welcome to West Houston Christian Center. I want to talk to you a little bit about the power of practical love and how love brings life tonight. Our pastor, my husband, Pastor Jack C., has been talking and teaching us about the love of God since like June. And he has taught us that we can almost not even walk truly as a Christian without it because people will actually know that we are Christians by our love for one another. In addition, he's taught us to go after a life of love as if our life depended on it, because in reality, it does. If we go after a life of love, we're going after a life of God. So it does depend on it. It's important. He also has shared with us that everything we do should be motivated by love because love leads us to God. And also because love... uh, is something that impacts people and shows them God. Pastor almost wanted to change our mission statement to energized by faith and motivated by love. I thought that was powerful when I was looking back at my notes. Anyways, I want to also just reference that we're reading through the New Testament together and talk about the book that we're reading today in the sense that Hebrews is one of those complicated books. We don't even know for sure who wrote it. And it has a lot of detailed stuff that's hard to understand at times. But it's a powerful book really about the love of God in certain aspects. This book is a book primarily to believers, but to the Jewish believers at the time. And it was a It was a a book written to them because they were in danger of falling away from the faith. It had a goal of showing the superiority of what God wanted to reveal to them in the new covenant. And it had so many wonderful aspects to it. God was showing us his final plan in this book, as opposed to the temporary one in the old covenant. It was like he showed us a grand finale. I want to just state that a couple of weeks ago, we read Second Timothy, and in that book, there's a verse that Pastor, our founding Pastor Jack, loves. He uses it so often, and it's 316. And because of wanting to establish just the foundation of how important every scripture is, I want to say that scripture, and it says, all scripture is God-breathed or given by inspiration of God and is profitable, excuse me, profitable, which means useful for doctrine, which means teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And verse 17 tells us that the man or woman, because it's talking about mankind, may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So Hebrews as a scripture or as a book of scripture is still useful and profitable for us today. And because of that, I want to ask you, based on what I just told you, the reason it was written for, Are you in any danger of falling away from the faith? Are you in any danger from walking away from Christianity? Are you in any danger of walking away from God? And are you in any danger of walking away from love or a walk of love? Because with God in us, his nature in us, we should be walking in love. In Hebrews, the reader is actually encouraged to respond to the threat of persecution by recommitting to the new reality brought by Jesus, the good news or the love news. God's love in Hebrews teaches us four main things. First, Jesus' salvation gift to us is far greater than any salvation pictured or offered or even announced by angels through the law of Moses. Two, Jesus has a place for us of rest, a promised land greater than the ones the Israelites were brought to in Israel. 
Pastor Jack, my husband's been teaching about going into the promised land and what keeps us from the promised land or what could keep us as those in the wilderness were kept from the promised land. But he has a promised land that is so beyond what we could imagine in heaven, but even here on earth, like the Garden of Eden was. Three, Jesus is the final and most effective high priest of all the high priests appointed by the law of Moses' time. You know, we needed a high priest that could cover our sins, not just offer a sacrifice to cover it temporarily. We needed a high priest who was anointed and could connect us to God. And Jesus did that for us. And Hebrews explains that. As God's people, we have to continue, and this is the fourth point, to live in the light of God's word by faith in love. Because in this new covenant, through the Messiah, Jesus Christ, we are receiving and are able to share with other people a kingdom of love, a love and a kingdom of love that cannot be shaken. I just want to just meditate on that sometimes. We have received a kingdom of love that cannot be shaken. So if that nature of God is on the inside of us, we cannot be shaken. The Lord is doing a separating type of shaking in the world today. And in some ways, he's trying to make clear even to us who is falling away from the faith. I'm not telling you that he's telling me you're falling away from the faith. I'm saying he's having us check ourselves so that we know if we're falling away from the faith or falling away from God or falling away from love and the love walk. The enemy's counterfeit is to shake you with a constant fear and a constant fear of death. But in Hebrews 2.14, it says this, Jesus through death destroyed him who had the power of death. That is the devil. And released those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Praise God. We have been freed from death. We have been freed from the nature of death. And we've been freed from just a, a, a fear of death on the inside of us. It's been replaced with the nature of God, which is the nature of life and the nature of love. Verse 18 in that same chapter 2 in Hebrews says, For in that he himself suffered or has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Now that's really powerful too. Fear not, beloveds. Staying in faith, walking in faith, walking and staying in love is worth it because God is with you and he will help you and he loves you. Love never fails and he will give you a way of escape no matter what temptation comes, even a temptation to walk away from God, even a temptation to walk out of love because of anger or hurt or just discouragements or, or things that have wounded us. We can't be deceived or ignorant, though. We definitely do deal with an enemy, like I just talked about. And he is, according to John eight forty four, a murderer. And it says he is a murderer who does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar, the father of it. But our God is truth. The enemy is a liar and a murderer, and he, and he walks in hate. But our God is truth, and truth sets you free. Our God is love, and love never fails. If we are born again, he's on the inside of us. God's love life is on the inside of us. And it's not a lying, murderous, death nature. It's a life full of love and empowerment to love. For clarification, the root of murder is hate, obviously. And hate is 
obviously, the opposite of love. But God sits in the heavens and just laughs at this hateful enemy because he's no opposite or opposition of God. However, for you and I to deal with the enemy or to deal with any opposition that comes at us, we have to have the wisdom of God over the enemy. We must understand who we are, not just what we can do or what we have or what we have access to, but who we are. His nature is on the inside of us. His love is on the inside of us. And we must have a reverential fear, an honor of the Lord, because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And it's wisdom that you need to overcome the enemy. How do we exactly do that? You have to establish your heart in principles like 2 Samuel 22, 31 and Psalm 18, 30, which both say the same thing. As for God, his way is perfect. His, the word is proven. It's tested. It's tried. He is a shield to those who trust in him. If you can get that down in your spirit, memorized, you will begin to understand that God's way, that all scripture is God-breathed and inspired by him, that God's way is perfect and he has a plan, a way, a method, a, a, an answer for any situation, any circumstance, and any temptation not to walk in love. His plan is perfect in every way and it's perfect against every attack or temptation of the enemy to fall away from faith, to fall away from God, or to fall away from love. Love is always available to us once we're born again because it's always on the inside of us. Now, the enemy actually knows that this unfailing power of love is almost undefeatable, even to him. So the only way that he can advance his kingdom and try to destroy the God's kingdom or our churches or our families is to build an agenda to separate you and divide you from love from both the love of God that leads you even to love others and from the love of being in a godly family or the love in family or the love in your church. Because sometimes, especially when you're young, your relationships in your family or your relationships in your church are what leads you to the love of God. So both lead one to another and both are so important. So the enemy targets both. His goal is to constantly lie to you about love and about God. If he can get you to think you're unloved or if he can separate you in any way from God's love, he'll start to control you with his nature so that you'll be unloving like him, so that you'll begin to hate more and more. And that leads only to things like murder, which is just something that we would never think of, but that's the result. That's really, in some ways, the worst kind of Christian to be, that carnal Christian that's born again but doesn't know who we are and, and we have hate in our heart and murderous thoughts. We need to know that nature on the inside of us, that love nature is accessible to us. God is in love with us and the power of love is on the inside of us and we can share that at any given point. We can draw on that at any given point and get victory because love never fails. Hallelujah. If you will believe God's word is truth and his way is perfect, then other verses are true too. Romans 8, 38 and 39 tells us nothing can separate you from the love of God. So don't let the enemy deceive you into thinking that he can do that to you. And it's okay to talk about, well, why does that happen? Why do we sometimes feel so much hate and get so separated from love when God is on the inside of us? Well, it's both the enemy and his slying, deceitful, tricky um, 
tricks, I don't even know a better word to say it, say than that, but he has little ways of just deceiving you into thinking something that's not truth, you know, and telling you a lie like he did Eve in the garden, telling her that 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 fruit would be a beneficial to her and that God just didn't want her to have it. It was a lie. God didn't want to keep anything from her. God wanted to bless her with everything, but had given her a boundary to keep her safe and to teach her some wonderful things. And the second reason why this sometimes happens is that we have a free will. We have a free choice and we have to choose. I'm even discipling you now to be disciplined, to choose to run to God, to the word, to godly mentors and godly teachers and ask for help to renew your mind about who you are, about what the word says and find out the truth in the word about God's love, God's love for you. Practically, the same is true about the family unit and the church. When the enemy comes to divide you in your family or in your church or from your church or from loving one another in your friend groups, you've got to run to your established truth. You've got to run to someone who can encourage you in the truth. You've got to run straight to God. And you know, God cannot lie. He's not a man that he should lie, it says in Numbers 23, and he cannot lie. It says that in Titus 1, 2. God cannot lie. So his way is perfect. It's proven. It's tested. It's tried. We can go to it about anything. All scripture is from God and it's there to help you. Now, God's goal is for a family, for him and for you, for you on earth and for you and his family. And it is so perfectly displayed at the end of the Old Testament and at the beginning of the New Testament. It says in Mar- excuse me, Malachi chapter 4, verse 4, I'm sorry, verse 5 and 6. And it says in Luke 1, 17. Now that's not the first gospel, but it's one of the first gospels and it goes back to the lineage of Jesus. So it goes back even further than, than Mark starts at or John. So it says this, and I've kind of put the two together. Basically, this is heart, God's heart towards us. It's um, his heart. His heart was that Jesus would turn your heart back to him because of his heart for you. And so God prophesied in Malachi and then fulfilled in Luke when he was speaking to Zacharias and said that he would send Elijah the prophet or the spirit of the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers or the hearts of the children or the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, which is the knowledge and holy love of the will of God in order to make a place or to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. We're going to continue looking at three scripture contexts together that are about love in the family so that we can know how to have an undefeatable unity that spreads to the church family and allows the church to, by this great, unfailing, powerful love, and nature of God, prepare people of the world to receive the salvation of Jesus Christ and the salvation that Jesus died and resurrected to give them. So I'm going to go to a couple scriptures in between sometimes because I love the word of God. But the scripture contexts are Ephesians 5, Titus 2, and Proverbs, specifically the chapter 13, but a couple of verses and a couple of chapters in Proverbs. So you can mark those, Ephesians 5, Titus 2, and Proverbs 13, or you can just go along as I go along. So in Ephesians 5, in verse 1, it says this, and I'm reading the Amplified this time, be imitators of God and follow his example as beloved children. 
imitate as beloved children imitate their father and walk in love, verse two, esteeming and delighting in one another as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. Well, first I wanna say love as a whole in the family or just as a Christian altogether should come out of knowing that you're beloved. You're the beloved. It says again, therefore be imitators of God, copy him and follow his example as well beloved children imitate their father. You're loved. You have to get that revelation. You've got to spend some time in the word till you know who you are, that God loves you so much. He's on the inside of you. Once you have that, you walk in love and you esteem and delight in one another as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. Well, what does that look like? Hmm. Good question. Thanks for asking. Do you have someone in your life that you talk to all the time, like a best friend, your spouse, an adult child, maybe your grandmother, or maybe somebody that's a roommate to you, maybe even just um, a parent, you know, for, for heaven's sake. Sometimes some of us ladies love to talk to our moms, right? Well, it kind of looks like that. When you build a relationship with God, you want to have that kind of relationship where you talk to that person all the time. Like for me, I definitely talk to my husband all the time. I tell him almost everything, almost to his hurt. Got to learn not to speak everything that comes to mind, right? And sometimes wait till afterwards so that he's not overwhelmed. But that's how it should be with God. Because he's a spirit, we have to spend time getting to know him and getting to understand how to operate in the spirit because that's different. It's different to have a relationship with someone that's invisible. They teach you when you're young, you're not supposed to have invisible friends, right? But it's like having a relationship with someone you talk to all the time, just doing it by the spirit with God, talking to him about everything, talking about the most wonderful thing that happened to you today. I might say, God, was that not so wonderful? I can't believe that happened. I'm so excited. Thank you so much for giving me that promotion and that blessing. I just am so, so excited. And then there are times when things are not going right. I cannot believe that person said that to me, Lord. I cannot believe they would say that to my face. I cannot believe that, Lord. I'm so frustrated and angry. You're gonna have to help me forgive that person because I'm just furious right now. You can talk to him about what to wear. You're just growing in relationship, just like you would your best friend, your husband. Do you know what the, the temperature is going to be like in that room? Do you think it'll be air conditioning? Should I wear a dress? Should I wear pants? What should I wear? I talk to God about everything because he's my best friend. And that's what it's supposed to be like. Having that relationship, just connecting to him so that you can then love other people just so naturally, just like you were loved by him and were communicating with him. Once again, I'm discipling you to ask God to help you to be disciplined in this. It takes some effort. You have to make a conscious effort to do it every day. You know, if I were to um, say that my husband was my best friend, but I only talked to him once every two weeks, you'd probably think that was a little strange. Well, sometimes when we just go to church every other week and that's the only time we have time with God, that's not really a best friendship. So make an effort to, even if you have to ask God to help you, to talk to him every day. And then in addition, to talk to him throughout the day when things come up, making and developing and growing your fellowship with him. Now, because we talked about those verses before I went into the announcements about how God's heart was at the end of the Old Testament, after all the prophecies to say, listen, I want to turn your hearts back to me because my heart is for you. And I want to turn the hearts of the children back to the fathers, you know, the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers. It was at the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament because it was so important to God. He finished every prophecy with that. And then he started the whole gospel of Jesus with that. That's his heart that you would be connected in your heart to him. 
Because that's his heart, I want to read you a scripture from Ephesians about husbands, one from Titus about wives, and one from Proverbs about children. Actually, it's a couple scriptures here. If you stay in Ephesians 5 and just go down a little bit, it actually says in verse 23 that husbands are the head of the wife. I'm going to kind of go from father to child here. In verse 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Let's keep reading. Verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. You know, sometimes those words are kind of complicated. So let me just say, when when something's sanctified, it's separated. It's made holy. It's separated from bad things. It's separated from death. It's separated. Makes me think of the story I mentioned just briefly about Adam and Eve. You know, when a husband's like this, imitating Jesus because he's got Jesus inside and he's the head and he's the head like Jesus and inside he's full of this love. He's going to be different from Adam. He's not just going to eat the fruit with Eve and sin with her. He's going to protect her from the fruit. He's going to give her an alternative, an alternative, excuse me. He's going to expose the lie with the love of the truth of God and how much God loves her. And also that God is not holding anything back from her. It's kind of like that image, you know. He helps to separate her from those things that that are not of God and washes her with the water of the word when he is a Christian, speaks the word over her and prays over her. That's such a blessing when husbands walk like that. And then it goes on to say that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. I'm going to stop there and just be funny for a second because I don't know that I have the right to teach men in any manner, but um, we're reading this scripture and I'm thinking to myself, Husbands, I just want to encourage you that if you love your wives like Christ loved the church, you might end up having such a depth of love for her that you see nothing but beauty all the way into her hundreds. She'll never have a spot or wrinkle. She'll look gorgeous to you. Think about it. Just a revelation I had on the side. Don't know that it's actually correct, but it kind of makes me laugh to think that God put that in there. And he's talking about us being perfect and white as snow before him. But you know what? When you have love for your wife, when your wife loves you, that's how you see each other. You don't even see your flaws. You don't even see the wrinkles. You see the joy of being together and what God has done and what he's going to do and how much that love has carried you and and developed you as people that are amazing for him and able to share the gospel through your relationship. Actually, when we love our spouses, I think people see God more than anything else. So it goes on in verse 28 to say, so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself for no one hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. And nourish means to um, actually to feed or to cause to grow. It also means to encourage and comfort, to educate. So when you're nourishing and cherishing, which means to treat with tenderness and affection, when you're doing those things as a blessing, when you're choosing that husbands, you are actually pouring the word of God over and encouraging someone to become all that they can be. You're actually being like Jesus. And that makes you a superhero. That's just how I see it. So you're nourishing and cherishing her when you do what you would do to your own flesh. And it says it, it's just as the Lord does with the church. Verse 30, for we are members of his body, of his flesh, of his bones. Verse 31, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. You know, when God, when we get born again, God comes on the inside of us and we become one with God. When two people marry, they should become so one that people just smack see Jesus all the time. 
That didn't make sense, but I liked it anyways. I like my statement. So this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So I I don't want to go too much over this, but I just want to make it practical. It, It might not seem like that's that easy, but if you just simply make a disciplined choice to ask God to help you be disciplined to spend time with him, he will begin to show you And if you'll ask him, he'll even show you exactly how to love your wife. Every wife, I mean, every person's wife is different. Every person is different and every marriage is different. You can't copy or compare your marriage to anyone else. You just go to the Lord and say, Lord, you tell me how to love this wife that you gave me. And he will show you creative ideas and things that will bless her. And it it won't be hard. It doesn't have to be hard. The enemy makes it hard. It doesn't have to be hard. And, you know, I was thinking about a side verse that's John 15, 13, that says, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. God loves you. He laid down his life for you. And God's asking you, husbands, to be willing to just love like that, to be able to maybe lay down something that you need to do, be unselfish, sow a little bit of love, and you're going to reap from it, I guarantee. Women love to be loved, and they certainly love back when they're loved. And as I move on, um, I just want to say that the husband, when he becomes like Jesus and does um, for the wife what Jesus does in him, he lays down his life to help her and he sits connected, one with her, as an arrow to the word, sharing the word, nourishing the word and cherishing her enough to show her the word. And that is superhero power in my eyes. Um, his very nature is in you. So see souls, even in your wife's walk with God, see purpose in it. I know sometimes from talking to my husband that, that if he has a purpose, he, it's much easier for him to do something. Uh, it's kind of like, you know, achieving a goal. And so look at it with God's purpose of what he wants you to do and ask him for his help. Then as we move on to Titus 2, I want to talk to the wives. It says here, and it's interesting how it says it here. In my opinion, it doesn't just even tell wives to love. I think loving is sometimes, sometimes a little easier unless we're totally unloved. But wives are given this nurturing nature most of the time. And so a lot of times loving can be easy for us. But this verse in Titus 2, 4 says, and I'm kind of reading about a little passwords that older women are to do certain things. And it says the older women are to admonish or continually teach the younger women in your lives, in your sphere of influence, women. It can be any age. You could be 13 and you could teach someone that's five. Now they're not married, but you still, for their future, can be teaching them things. You're teaching the younger women to love their husbands and their children. Men have a huge Jesus job. We need to love them so much. We need to love them extremely abundantly and indescribably. I can't remember if I said it, but I, I love you with an almost indescribable love because of the love that I spend time getting from God. And it comes out of me like bubbles sometimes, you know, um, with my kids and with my, my husband and with, with people at church because that's, that's how I feel. That's really who I am. Because God's in me and God's in you. So you can have the same thing. It might come out different because your personality is different. But with women, we have to show this in different ways. You know, we have to be a person of self-discretion. We have to be self-controlled. We have to work a little harder on that because we talk a lot. Like I'm talking to you a lot and I won't go too much longer. Remember, we just have to talk about kids and it won't be done. But 
And we need to remember that only the fool says everything that comes to mind. The wise woman or the wise person waits till afterwards. So sometimes we have to hold our tongue and learn to do that, asking God for his help. We need to be modest or chaste in our behavior. This is that scripture in, in Titus 2, 4, even though I'm kind of paraphrasing it a little bit. We need to remember that, that we don't need to torture him with how we're dressed or torture anybody else's husband with how we're dressed. But with our own husbands, we also don't deprive them of what blesses them. I'll just leave it at that. I think some of you know what I mean. Uh, we are to be a blessing to our husbands and we're to be homemakers, making a place that's a blessing for them and a blessing for our children. We're not to tear down our home with our words or with our actions. We're to be good natured and kind hearted and giving, adapting and subordinating ourselves to our own husband. You know, I, it, we have this move in women's movements that talks about, you know, my body, my choice. But biblically, your body is not your own. It was bought with a price. I mean, 1 Corinthians 7 talks about his body is yours and your body is his. So this isn't about that altogether. But I'm just saying we sometimes get off on a wrong agenda thinking of the enemy. Our body is not our own. It was bought with a tremendously high cost. And so we need to use it with excellence. We need it to use it to bless. We need to be modest, chaste women who bless and love our husbands and ask them what it is they need. Ask God what they need and do those things and be a blessing in that way. And we practice it that way. We envelop ourselves the same way in God, getting his love first. Sometimes a husband doesn't know how to love. So we have to go and get that love from God first and then bubble over with love for him, I remember Smith Wigglesworth just not knowing how to love his wife and being very frustrated and telling her that he was going to do terrible things if she kept going to church because he did not even believe in God. And one night she literally went outside to go to church because she, she said, I need to obey the word of God. She went to church. Then he locked her out of the house. And when he came to the door the next morning, she had slept on the porch in her coat all night long. I am not recommending that. I am not saying that we stay in abuse. I'm telling you covenant relationships are not suicide packs. If you are in abuse, separate. But in that case, that's what the Lord told her to do. And he got radically saved after that. And he was a man of God that changed people's lives and raised many people from the dead. We have power in our influence when we love ladies. Lastly, I want to talk about parents. This scripture doesn't say love. But it says love through its opposite. Remember in the beginning I said hate is the opposite of love and the enemy hates. We're supposed to love because God is love. Proverbs 13, 24 says, if you spare the rod, the rod is symbolic of the word. It's symbolic of correction. It's symbolic because it's the word and the word was God of love. If you spare the rod, you hate your child. Why did I say that? Parents... God disciples us. I'm trying to disciple you a little today. And God uses discipline within that discipleship as well as love. In fact, it says God chastens the ones he loves, correct? So we need to discipline, disciple, love our children. You know, love in Romans 12, 10 says that we're to be kindly affectionate. And in 1 Corinthians 13, it says like, we need to be patient and we need to be kind and we need to think no evil and we need to not behave rudely and we need to not rejoice at iniquity, but rejoice at the truth. But we must understand that with ch children, 
that foolishness is bound up in their heart. Actually, Proverbs 22, 5 says it. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction will drive it far from him. This is so important to understand because when they're little, we definitely use a physical rod as a demonstration. When they're little, we use more of it as the word. Both are with the word, physically with the rod, with the word, and by the word as they get older. But the importance of the rod is this. Children do childish things. Childish things are not something you use the rod on, although you can still use the word of God to teach them a principle. If my um, daughter, well, this actually happened. My daughter used to love these books about Amelia Bedelia. They were a series that you can still get at the library. I hope it's okay to promote those. But she did everything literal. Children think literally. If you say, we'll leave in one minute, you better leave in one minute, or they're going to say, how come he's ever going to leave in one minute? It's been 35 minutes, mom. So Amelia Bedelia, if you told her to dust the furniture, she would take talcum powder or some kind of dust and she would dust everything. Well, I hope I'm not uncovering my sweet girl because she's just a gem, but she did that. And I might've shared this one time before we were having nap time and she got up to go to the, to the restroom and she went in there and she took the talcum powder after reading that story and she covered the whole bathroom. Well, I have to tell you that I was a little bit frustrated, but the truth is, is that if I acted out of anger or if I acted in, in harshness or if I disciplined her, I actually would be out of order because that was childishness. Once I taught her that we do not dust that way, then I could go back if she did it again and take that as foolishness or rebellion and use a rod. And I would always with my children take them to a private place and tell them, this is a rod made of wood because it's like the cross. I didn't ever use my hands. Okay, there were a few times I accidentally used my hands because my kids are probably watching this. And I had to repent for that. You know, when you get really frustrated, you're like, Ugh! you know, you're not supposed to do that. Our hands are supposed to be to love our children. They're objects of love because they're part of us. I'm encouraging you with that. But... God says the rod, and he actually goes on and he tells us this. It's so powerful. He tells us in, let me see if I, where I wrote it down. He tells us in Proverbs 29, 15. I'm looking for where it says read like. So I'm Proverbs 23, 13 and 14. Withhold not correction or discipline from the child. For if you strike and punish him with a read like rod, He will not die. You shall uh, whip him with the rod and shall deliver his soul from hell or Sheol or Hades. I know that's really intense. And some states it's like illegal. But what did we say at the beginning? God's way is always perfect. He is right. All scripture is inspired by God. This is in Proverbs 23, 13 and 14. We need to understand there's a right way to do things. If you don't quite understand something in the word because it looks almost ancient to you, Ask the Lord. I asked the Lord. I studied some things. Kelly Copeland taught me some things. And some of the things she taught me were that you always use a reed-like rod. You always use something made of wood because it's very symbolic. Everything God does has purpose. And it was symbolic of the cross, that our sins were taken on the cross. So I would tell my children, I would say, Mommy is going to give you a spanking and it will sting a little bit. The rod is always to be used on the backside. That's another thing in the scriptures. Proverbs 26, 3, a rod is for the fool's back. Proverbs 10, 13, the rod is for the back of him who is devoid of understanding. So I would use that wooden rod and I would correct them on their bottom. It gives a little sting and that is to motivate them to repent because all sin 
has a sting, a consequence, and all sin leads to death. And you want to love them enough to give it to them instead of allowing the enemy to. When we just let our children do whatever they want, that is deadly. Um, how, how I've heard it said best was when Kelly Copeland said, foolishness in a child that is two is almost cute. But foolishness in a man is deadly, especially a young man in a pickup truck with no discipline and no boundaries. Proverbs 19.3 says, foolishness in a man twists his way and causes him to be resentful or fret against God. You don't want your children to fret against God. And it says this too. The word is so important. In Deuteronomy 6, 7, it says, And thou shalt teach them God's word diligently unto thy children and shalt talk of them when you sittest in thine house, when you walkest by thy way, when you liest down, when you risest up. Children need the word because the word is love constantly. You need to be teaching them the word, speaking the word. When my babies were in my belly, I read the word to them out loud. When my bellies were nursing, I read the word to them out loud. When they started to get wiggly, when I put them in the bath, I'd read the word while they're playing in the bathtub. I would read to the word to them at night. If I had to, I would do devotionals at the table with Pop-Tarts and Sundays if I had to, just to get them to have fun and listen to the word because it's not a punishment. And I made sure they got that word continually. But when they directly disobeyed, I explained to them that, that would lead to a consequence that they would not want later in life. And I was teaching them to be quick to repent and slow to sin and right then to get clean. You know, if you leave your children unto themselves, they'll bring shame to you. And the thing is, is that when we leave them unto themselves and we don't discipline them, we develop a sin consciousness without even doing anything because they're dealing with this sin inside. They know it's wrong because it's written on their heart right from wrong and because you're a godly person saying godly things. And so inside, they don't feel good. And you've got to help them get right. When you correct them lovingly and then you have them repent and you hug them and you go out smiling and you don't bring it up again. No, when they do it again, you don't say, I can't believe you did this again. If you do that, repent. Tell them, I repent. Mommy makes mistakes too. Please forgive me. If they say, well, you need a spanking. You say, no, no, no. I get my correction from the Lord in the word now. I'm teaching it to you this way because I want you to clearly understand it because I know you need to understand it very, very literally. They take everything literal. But when you do that, when you correct them and go on, they're clean. That's righteousness consciousness and they need it desperately. They need to know how to go to God, get right, get clean and move on. So as funny as it sounds, love is putting the word in your children all the time, making it a part of your life, praying with them, and then disciplining them. You actually hate them if you don't discipline them so that they can have a righteousness consciousness. Beloveds, we're to run to God. The only other thing I would say is, children, you are so loved. Obey your parents if you're listening to me. Obey your parents in the Lord. Obey your parents in everything. This is pleasing to the Lord. And honor your mother and father that it may be well with you and you live long upon the earth. And children know this. Jesus says, come to him. And he tells adults, never forbid a child from coming to him, to me, to him, he says, because he loves you. And he loves the sweetness of how you run to him. And he wants us as adults to do it the very same way. I don't think we can even enter the kingdom without coming to him with a childlike heart, without all that pride, I know everything stuff, like a kid with love to receive his love. 
So beloveds, run to God today like a child and put down any pride that tells you that that's stupid. I grew up in a lot of dysfunction and many, many of us did. And it can make us mistrusting and hard-hearted and even afraid of God because our surrounding adults are the first images that we have of any kind of God. And especially if our parents know God or we go to church, then that's the image that we see. And they should know better, but sometimes they're just hurting too. And they just, they've just gone through so much and they don't have a revelation of love. So in closing, just know this, that image, if it wasn't loving, if it wasn't godly, was one of the devil. It wasn't of God. And he wants you to know that he understands everything you have ever experienced and ever gone to. But you can run to him and ask him first. And I'm going to ask you if you've asked the Lord to be in your heart, because first you have to be born again. And once you're born again, you can run to him continually and ask him what is right and what is wrong. Show me in the word how to do this. Show me in the the word how to love my kids. Show me in the word how to love my wife. Show me in the Lord how to love my parents. Show me in the Lord how to fix this situation. Show me in the Lord how to heal so I can receive your love and then love others. We run to him. I wrote here, um, let's run to him, all of us, right now in prayer and ask him for more revelation of his love and the discipline to learn about it in his word so we can love others with the most indescribable, unfailing, powerful love of God. If by any chance you don't know the Lord, And let me say it like this. A lot of people know him as Savior. I was talking to a sweet Diane in our congregation, and we were talking about how many people know him as Savior, or they know of him as Jesus or as a a figure or a historical figure. But do you know him as Lord? Is he Lord of your life? If you have never made him Lord of your life, I want you to consider today praying a prayer with me to ask him to come and live big in your life, and say that you actually believe that he is the Son of God, confessing that with your mouth, and confessing that God, his Father, raised him from the dead. And as you do that, you'll be making Jesus Lord of your life. And there's a difference. Being born again means that him, Jesus himself, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost as a Trinity, come and dwell in you. And when they dwell in you, his nature, his love, his life is in you. And you don't have to have bondage of death in any form anymore. And you can be freed from the nature of Satan, who is the God of this world, who probably has blinded you before now if you haven't ever received Jesus as Lord. Let's go to the throne and ask for this now if you've never done it. Repeat this after me. God, thank you for sending your son Jesus because you loved me and for causing him to pay the penalty for my sins on the cross through death. Please forgive me for my sins, Lord. I believe that you raised him from the dead and I receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior today so that I can be connected to you, God, restored in relationship with you, God, for it's only through the mediator of your son, Jesus, that I can be restored in relationship and reconciled to you, God. And today, I believe Jesus is Lord in my heart, big in me, with your nature, your love, and your life in me. And I am grateful to be adopted by you as your child. I receive Jesus as Lord. I praise you, God, for this gift. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. 
all the angels in heaven are rejoicing and so am I that if you today prayed that for the first time, you are born again and you have the nature and the love and the life of God on the inside of you. Congratulations and God bless you. And if you did do that for the first time, please let us know on our website. You can go to our prayer section and just send us a little note. I'd love to hear. God bless you. And thank you for joining us at West Houston Christian Center. Have a wonderful week walking in the love of God.